There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's April 26th, 1865, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln in the back of the head at Ford's Theatre in Washington, D.C. We probably all know that bit of the story. Then he jumped from the private box and onto the stage, outing Sic Semper Tyrannis, thus always to tyrants in Latin. Probably many of us know that bit too. But how he came to his end, crouched in a burning barn on this day in 1865, well, that part of the tale is a bit less well-known, so forgive us American pals who already know this one while we dive into the killing of Lincoln's killer. Well, first he escaped into the woods which triggered a massive manhunt, as you'd expect if anyone goes and kills the president. But what was special in his case was that his photo was everywhere, like on a poster with a $100,000 reward. They had photos of him because, and this is something that I think people don't know much about John Wilkes Booth, have either forgotten or don't know, he was a famous actor. He wasn't just like an actor. He was a famous actor. It was like if Kelsey Grammer killed Joe Biden. And so they had the photo ready. Yeah, by the 1860s, he had become one of the most popular and recognisable, which was useful for the hunting him down, stage actors of his day. Some called him the handsomest man in America, although in my opinion, he wasn't even the handsomest man in this conspiracy. Google Lewis Powell. And according to Terry Alford, the professor emeritus at North Virginia Community College, he's said to be the first actor to have had his clothes torn off by fans, (laughs) which really, you know, it's a certain kind of fan, but certainly an indication that he would have been well known around the place. But he was now on the run and actually started seeing some of the coverage that was out there about him. And suddenly at the moment where he's like, oh, I'm the bad guy. I didn't realise. It's so cool because he's one of the few assassins who actually lived to see how awfully his act was received by the world. He was on the run for 12 days and he was reading the papers. And there's something really satisfying about it, right? Because a lot of assassins end up, you know, killed on the spot or imprisoned immediately after. And so we actually have him like literally diarising his dismay at the condemnation he's receiving. He wrote, with every man's hand against me, I am here in despair. And why? For doing what Brutus was honoured for. And yet I, for striking down a greater tyrant than they ever knew, am looked upon as a common cutthroat. Yeah, because he was actually, while he was in the swamps, he was receiving uh, both food and also newspapers and information from the accomplices who had run all of this stuff to them. And it was there that he started to to have this realisation. But also, as well as the accomplices visiting them, they had these squadrons of Union soldiers closing in on them as well. And this brings us to the barn itself, because sometime after 2am, a detachment from the 16th New York Cavalry Regiment and a pair of detectives cornered Booth and his compatriot David Herald in this particular barn and by then as Rebecca said they'd been on on the run for 12 days and they told him to come out Luther Baker said 
look, you've got five minutes to come out. And Booth asked for a little time to consider it, which I thought was, uh, <laughs> you know, a good move on his part. And they were actually hoping that they might have been surrounded by sympathetic Southerners because they didn't know who was trailing them at this time. They knew that they had a bounty on their heads, but they didn't know that this was going to be people who were likely to, um, you know, shoot first and ask questions later. Well, they weren't quite because the order was to bring him back to Washington alive. I mean, that is what was intended, which is why they smoked him out. They thought, well, if we set fire to the barn, then he'll come out rather than burn alive, and then we'll be able to arrest him. And David Herald actually came out quite quickly when he was ordered. So then we just have Booth left alone, pacing up and down in this tobacco barn as the flames are starting to creep towards him. But yeah, but he actually did think that he was going to be in for a gunfight rather than an arrest, even while the barn was starting to catch fire. Well, let's not split hairs. I mean, I think he knew that the noose was coming eventually, didn't he? So it's a question of die now or die in a year's time anyway. He probably did. But it didn't stop him for asking again whether he could have uh, just a little bit more time to think about it. And he asked for if they could just move back 50 yards, apparently. <laughs> and again, the, the request was rebuffed. And he then said, well, my brave boys, prepare a stretcher for me. Uh, and one of the detectives, Everton Conjure, said that it was delivered in this singularly theatrical voice, which <laughs> I suppose <laughs> may just have been his voice. And then he came out and was shot in the neck. And then he died. Which then uh, led people to ask what he was doing there in the first place. Like, had he been put up by the farmer, the Garrett family, who owned the land? Because, you know, having killed him, the public then wanted every conspirator to go down as well. Richard Henry Garrett later wrote in a letter to the editor of the New York Herald, It has always been one principle of my religion to entertain strangers, especially any that seemed to be suffering. Sort of obfuscating whether he knew or didn't know that this was Booth. But the Hmm. insinuation was there that hung over that family for decades afterwards that they'd been the people to assist. And so the trigger was actually pulled by an obscure sergeant called Boston Corbett, who made his name in history books as the man who killed the man who killed Lincoln. You could do an episode on him alone. He later claimed that Booth had pointed a gun at him, but this was disputed in Conger's report later. He actually recommended disciplinary action for Corbett, who already had a bit of a reputation. Yeah, he had some weird obsessions of a religious kind that manifested in him castrating himself. And some people now look back and think that he was suffering from mercury poisoning, and that might explain his sort of peculiarity. But there was this feeling that Booth could have been taken alive and Corbett's intervention prevented that, you know, that that they could have had explanations, we could have had confessions, we could have had him facing more music than just being shot in the neck and dying. And actually, his death wasn't swift. In the end, he, he took hours and hours to die. Immediately after he was shot, he said, tell mother I die for my country, which would have been really good final words. But then he spent another five hours, apparently, sadly, saying, kill me, kill me, before he actually gave up the ghost. Yeah, the bullet hit him very close to where his bullet had struck Lincoln in the back of the head. And it went through his neck, so he was paralysed. He was dragged to the porch and he just lay there, like bleeding and wheezing and eventually died of asphyxia. So it was a pretty rotten way to go. And we've covered before in this show how in America most dark history will quickly attract tourism and it was no different here. Um, Garrett, the farmer's sister-in-law, said that the farm enjoyed notoriety for quite some time after this. The blood spot where Booth's head lay on the porch at Mr Garrett's has been visited by thousands of curiosity seekers and lovers, Lucinda Holloway (laughs) told an interviewer two decades after the capture. That is a strange honeymoon spot, no? Uh, um, Ever since, like in more recent history, in our lifetimes, for example, it's notable how 
tourism to the spot is still discouraged. I mean, it's on mm. Google Maps as one of those like historical state markers. They put a sign up saying this sign is sort of near where Booth was killed. But if you actually try, and I've you know, looked at blogs of people who have done it, if you actually try to walk from that sign to the spot, there are signs telling you not to be there, and you're essentially between two highways in the middle of a forest with nothing there. And it's very clear they don't want him to be martyred. Well, maybe also the reason for the public interest was that immediately after his death, conspiracy theorists got involved, and particularly the conspiracy that took hold was that Booth had somehow disguised himself while he was in the barn and made a getaway, and people thought that this was credible because he was a professional actor and therefore a master of disguise, <laughs> which I don't know about. I think people were kind of confused about what actors were then like they, yeah. were, they weren't magicians yeah. <laughs> but then you had these newspaper stories that had him as far away as mexico india cuba brazil all over the place history.com says that there were rumors that he'd become a leading actor in australia under the name of senor enos but i must say i couldn't find anything to substantiate that another account had it that he was in the service of a sultan in egypt and owned more than a hundred camels that would have been a pretty good outcome. <laughs> you know, there was a school of thought that his mummified corpse had done a tour of the United States. Did you see that? Oh, yes. It was absolutely extraordinary. There was a man called John St. Helen who, in 1877, called his lawyer and said, Hey, I'm John Wilkes Booth. I escaped and drifted west, but I'm about to die, so I want to confess. So you should know I'm him. But then he recovered from the illness that he had. 23 years later, that man died and the lawyer spotted a newspaper article describing um, his death. He'd, he'd committed suicide in Oklahoma and there was a post-mortem photograph in the newspaper and the lawyer identified him as this guy, John St. Helen, who had told him that he was actually John Wilkes Booth. He then bought the mummified corpse of John St. Helen and took it on a tour as a promotional tool for a book that he'd written about it called The Escape and Suicide of John Wilkes Booth written for the correction of history. They took it to state fairs, carnivals, holiday celebrations. Why would you need someone who claimed to be John Wilkes Booth's body? If the body's mummified, couldn't you just use any random well, man? Astonishingly, in the 1930s doctors in Chicago examined the body and declared that the corpse was genuine. Everyone had those injuries in the 1800s. Well, it just turned out afterwards <laughs> that he had the wrong broken leg. He had the right leg rather than the left. <laughs> Tomorrow. How do you go to a duel and forget to bring your dagger? Like, surely on the checklist when you leave the house this morning. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.